Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. We were college graduates, blasé about it, diploma rolled into tubes. It was 1991. A diploma couldn't save you from having to stand behind a shop counter or sit answering a telephone at the front of some office. Saddam Hussein was back again. Yugoslavia was at war. The U.S. economy was sadly napping. With two school friends, I'd come to Manhattan straight from graduation, knowing only that I wanted to write. You could do that then move to the city without a job or a plan, just some unreasonable dream, and survive. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature at the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Daphne Calote, author of three previous books and a new novel, Blue Hours. Two young women, Mim and Kira, begin a life-changing friendship in 1991, but then they go their separate ways. Twenty years later, Kira has gone missing in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Mim leaves her home, crosses an ocean, and begins the most difficult journey of her life. Hi, Daphne. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thanks for inviting me. So how did you come to write this lovely story? You know... I was at the beginning of a new project, and I didn't really know what to write. And I was musing about New York City in the early 90s and just doing some free writes. And around that same time, a friend of mine who worked for the Red Cross was telling me about his headquarters in Libya being bombed. And I got to thinking about um, humanitarian aid workers and the risks that they take in areas where they may not even be welcome. And what um, we have maybe been doing in countries um, to make ourselves not welcome. And around that same time, I heard about an American soldier who was being held by the Taliban and about possible negotiations for his release. And that got me thinking about our engagement in Afghanistan. And I was really interested in these kind of two sides of our engagement abroad and about, on the other hand, our sort of civilian um, disengagement with that world and how these two sides come together. And that kind of just got me off and rolling. Mm. So the book Blue Hours is divided into three sections, the island, the desert, and the world. Can you discuss those? Sure. So the first part, which is um, the New York City story, um, is set on the island of Manhattan. And I was also thinking metaphorically about that really sort of insular existence, um, first of all, very specifically about those characters who are um, recent college graduates who are living, um, you know, in their little bubble, um, as we all live in our little bubbles, really. Um, and so 
you know, second of all, about the way that we all kind of live on our little islands that we create. Um, and then I wanted to broaden the story um, and think about possible leaps that those characters could make um, onto other stages. And in particular, um, the narrator and, and protagonist, Mim, um, and if she could leap somewhere um, outside of her world. And in that second section, the desert, she goes to Afghanistan and, you know, crosses a, a really kind of distant border. Um, and by the third section, um, we return to America. And in this case, we go to Western Massachusetts. Um, so those are the, the three sections. They also move forward in time. Mm -hmm. So please introduce us to your main character, Mim. Yes. Yeah, so Mim is short for Miriam. And um, she is a woman from uh, Boston area, Boston, Massachusetts. She is of a lower middle class background. And when we meet her in part one, she has just graduated from college and she's moved to New York City because she has this dream of being a writer. And so on the one hand, she has these uh, big aspirations um, on the other hand, um, she, you know, is feeling kind of the pressures of the world and of her um, upbringing. And um, the, in the present of the story, she is a recluse. She has been beaten down by the events that we are going to witness from that period um, of her youth while she is on the island of Manhattan. And I won't tell you what happens, but... Um, she ends up really kind of retreating into herself and deciding that she doesn't want to have that city life. She's going to um, live a, a kind of smaller and smaller, more private life. Um, at the same time, part of the fun of the book is that we get to witness how she does actually succeed at becoming a writer. And we get to witness the somewhat curvy path that that success takes, as I think um, much of the time, um, the success of an artist of any type does take, you know, it's never really a straight line um, when it comes to succeeding, I think, as an artist. Right. Um, but back then, 1991, she's folding shirts for minimum wage. <laughs> yes, and her first job, exactly. She's working at Benetton um, and sort of as, as we all have to do that right we all have to take on some job that we never thought we'd do <laughs> um and um she's very patiently kind of going through the motions and she's writing her first story and um at the same time you know dreaming big she's saving her money um maybe saving more than you know being a little more stringent that she needs to she eats liverwurst every single day for lunch um, because she she thinks she can't um, afford anything, you know, at all more expensive than that. Um, but, um, you know, I think what I wanted to do, I, I'm often interested in characters who are maybe more extreme versions of um, someone who maybe I could imagine being, you know, or who I've maybe seen in, in the world. Um, what would 
you know, if I kind of ratcheted them up, ratcheted them up a notch, what would that look like? And then she meets Kira and they become really good friends and roommates. And one of the things that intrigues Mim about Kira is her shiny black hair. Yes. Um, So Kira is in some ways the opposite of Mim. She's a free spirit. She's a beautiful dancer. Um, She's passionate. And um, her shiny black hair is due to the fact, uh, Mim realizes when they become roommates, that um, Kira really doesn't wash her hair that often. Um, But it doesn't matter. People still find her beautiful. Um, and part of that beauty is due to her, um, compassion. It's really is the beauty on the inside as well as the outside. She notices how people feel and she taps into that and she reaches out to people. She acts on that compassion. Mm -hmm. So, and then Mim describes meeting Kira at a train stop and then again at a party where she also meets Jack. Why is he important to her? So Jack's important uh, for a few reasons. Um, He is a handsome Frenchman who in some ways is very different from the American characters. And I wanted him to provide that contrast. He's really engaged with the world in a different way. Um, And that's important for Mim. Um, He's really opening her eyes to the world uh, in a way that's important, but um, he's also key to some of the themes in the book, which are imperialism and um, Western paternalism. And I wanted him to, I, without giving too much away in terms of plot, um, to open up the book to this idea of colonialism and once we understand um, sort of the secrets behind his past, we understand um, why he's important to the story. And um, as we move forward, um, sort of thematically, he becomes actually sort of a, a bigger part of the mosaic of this story. Mm-hmm. Carl is another one of the roommates. Tell us about him and what, what happened to him and why is he important? So this story is bookended by um, two political decisions that the U.S. has made in terms of its wars. One is the Gulf War and then one is the war in Afghanistan. And it's not that I thought about that um, methodically. It's something that happened, you know, it emerged organically as I wrote. Um, but one of the characters is Carl, who... Um, we learn has returned from the Gulf War. And um, he has been really hollowed out by it. And this is important because I think that we remember that war as kind of one of the easier wars. We were only there for about 44 days. We mainly think of it as a war from the sky where we sort of flew above and dropped a bunch of bombs and we were successful and we were heroes. Um, Of course, later on, we realized that it wasn't that simple and that there was a lot of fallout from that. And um, we ended up having to go back into Iraq. But um, I wanted to show um, that, in fact, it was a lot messier than that. And here's a character who um, 
has a lot of trauma in in his his body and he's actually a victim of PTSD and if you remember in that time there were all of these mysterious ailments that we didn't know we we called it gulf war sy- syndrome um and i was thinking back on that time i remembered meeting somebody who had come back from the gulf war and being aware that i hadn't really even had to think about that war at the time um and that um this person had gone because he had been in ROTC and that that was part of this bargain he'd had to make because it was how he paid his way through school and i thought wow you know um this is how our class system works you know um this this is this is how it works in america and i wanted to write about that so uh, she meets during that time Kira's fiance Roy he's moneyed he's older what makes Mim so confused about him and the relationship you know she really can't place him for a while she understands that there's some closeness between him and Kira and yet he seems so opposite from Kira um you know in some ways money can protect us from having to engage um with people who are going through things right that w- that we don't have to because of our money and Kira on the other hand is so attuned to people who are for instance um the homeless people on the streets of New York um and so Mim can't understand how Kira can be so close to Roy and um it, a lot of part 1 is her trying to trying to figure out this relationship between them and what it is that they share um and some of that she won't even figure out until part 2 When the situation with the roommates falls apart, Mim goes to stay back to uh Massachusetts to stay with her sister. Tell us about the sister and their relationship. Yes, so they are actually stepsisters from when um Mim's father remarried and um this sister is really somebody she's always on the one hand really looked up to as this kind of knowledgeable um somebody who maybe even kind of got into a little bit of trouble and sort of took risks that maybe Mim wouldn't take and um maybe taught her sort of about the kind of big girl world when Mim was still a little girl um and yet they've sort of in some ways gone their separate ways first of all because their parents then split up um but also because Mim then went to a college that was sort of a ritzy school um on a kind of a walled campus um where you know a lot of private school students went um and her sister has stayed in the Boston area and kind of resents that Mim has now moved away to New York and there's a sense that they're going their separate ways so for Mim to come back to Massachusetts and reach back out to her and admit that maybe you know there's something that they can kind of reconnect on and that in fact there's something they need to talk about um and in fact there is there's there's something that's happened in the past that they need to to discuss and open up about um it's it's a big step forward for for both of them so now 20 years later we're in 2012 and mim recalls her early attempts at writing she's now a uh, a well-known author and she tells the story of getting an ex- getting acceptances that later turn into rejections 
pure curiosity on my part, but how does this relate to your own personal experience as a writer? Oh, yes. You know, this is really um, a version of reality. You know, she tells um, a, a, a story of, or it's not a story. I mean, she has basically an editor from a magazine who loves a story of hers and says, I'm going to present it to the top editors and we'll see if they like it enough to want to publish it. And they don't. And this happens all the time in magazines. And, you know, I hear of it, this, in her case, it's with a, a short story and fiction, but I hear of it with my friends who are writing pieces for, you know, nonfiction pieces for Vogue and places like that, where they write something wonderful. And then they're like, Anna Wintour didn't like it, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so I know this happens still. And sure. for me, it happens with books, you know, I'll write a novel and then, it's, you know, an, an editor at a, um, a publishing house loves it. And then it's like, oh, but the marketing, um, you know, head of marketing didn't like it or the publisher didn't like it. So the entire publishing house doesn't want my book. Um, so this happens and this has happened, I think, for every probably every one of my books, you know, and eventually it ends up at some house. But um, this this is the way of the publishing world. So. Um, she's experiencing something that's very real. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so now Kira, who was loved and lost by both Mim and Roy, ends up working for an NGO in Afghanistan. Uh, we open up the second section, and she has uh, Mim has received a package. Mim receives a package of unmailed letters that were addressed to Roy, but they're really for her. Can you talk about that a little? Sure. Um, so this is one of the mysteries in the book um, where, you know, and Roy says, well, why didn't she just send them right to you? Um, she probably could have found your address. Um, and yet this, I think, has to do with one of Kira's qualities, which is knowing um, I have to bring these two people together again, because part of what happens in the book is that because of what goes on in the past in that story of the early nineties, Roy and Mim become kind of enemies. <laughs> they don't like each other. Um, something happens and they don't speak to each other for 20 years. And then Kira does this thing that brings them together. Roy has to deliver these um, letters to Mim and they end up getting together to try to um, figure out what's going on with Kira. And it's going to actually do more than that. You know, it's going to solve a lot of um, questions for both of them um, that, that's going on with them with, in, their, in their lives. So tell us what's going on in Jalalabad in 2012. So, you know, if you think back to that time, um, the um, – in the Obama administration had done some things that had actually changed what was going on um, in Afghanistan at that time. Um, and it was safer compared to now, if you think, you know, what we're hearing the news daily right now. Um, and the, the surge had um, actually routed the Taliban. So whereas like even just today, um, I know, like, for instance, today there was a, a bombing by the Taliban in Kabul um, and uh, at that point, there was, I think, a, a greater um, 
hopefulness. And um, a lot of people were in Jalalabad right then um, working on lots of projects um, for just kind of daily, like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying these projects aren't going on now, by the way. I'm just saying with a lot less um, sort of a daily safety precautions that I think would be happening, like, right now, weekly, we're hearing, right, about bombings, and this just was not going on in 2012. Um, and at that time, there was this hopefulness about the fact that we were preparing for the drawdown. Um Right. If you remember then, we had a lot more troops there. And this idea was, oh, 2016, we're going to have the drawdown. Um, now we've had that drawdown and we're now having these peace talks between, I mean, it's ironic between the Taliban and the U.S. and yet the Taliban are bombing daily. So Yes, and we're speaking, this conversation is being held in 2019. And today in the newspaper... Um, more U.S. troops are preparing to leave as the Taliban is really to return. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your story about Kira going missing and Mim's attempt, attempt to find her? Tell us about the United States and its relationships in that part of the world. So I wanted to, um, on the most basic level, just re-engage the reader with our own engagement in that part of the world. And what I mean is, yes, we all know we have a war in Afghanistan. We have been there for 18 years. But I think that we do not on a daily basis sort of mentally engage with that war. We've been there for so long. Um, and I'm, I count myself in this. Um, you know, I am one of these people who I read the newspaper all the time. And at a certain point, I became one of these readers who would say, oh, another really sad article about something sad happening in Afghanistan. You know what? I don't feel like reading this article. I'm going to skip it. And and I thought, what is this about that I'm an American? My country is actually at war and I can skip this article because this war isn't happening in my country. It's over there. And something's wrong. That doesn't feel right to me. Um, what can I do about that? So I can read about it. I can somehow get myself re-engaged by writing about it. And can I bring my reader with me? How can I do that? And this is how I decided to do it. I could bring my character there. I could have Kira go missing. And it's because I feel like in a way we've gone missing there. You know, we've, we've gotten lost there. Um, because it's so complex. It's so complicated. And I, I feel that was the way I could write about it. I'm not a political scientist. You know, I don't know the answer. I just know the complexity. And I, I felt that this was the way that I could express that. Well, one more political question. Roy, is Roy uh, Kira's ex-husband, the friend to whom she sends the package of unmailed letters, He's wealthy enough to underwrite the entire trip to find Kira when she goes missing. But why isn't the U.S. government searching for her? She's a U.S. citizen. Yes, and you know, because they don't, right? Um, And what's interesting is when I started to talk to people about this, um, and for in particular, I talked to NGO workers, and they would say, oh yeah, you know, if you actually look into this, you'll find out about other actual 
stories of NGO workers who have gone missing. And since then, every once in a while, you'll hear a story and they'll say, oh, actually, we just heard there is, for instance, a Red Cross worker who we've just heard has been missing for X number of months or years and we've just heard about it or, and I don't mean it's always a Red Cross worker or, or you know, an NGO worker, but <clears throat> um, this is, in general, that's not the policy. And, um, you know, and at the same time, I want to say, I understand why, I mean, especially, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, right, this this opens up a whole Pandora's box of possible problems. Right, once you say I'm going to go looking for every single person who goes missing <laughs> in a, in a country in which maybe we're engaged in a war, but um, it's interesting when you start to look a little bit deeper into um, where else we have um, humanitarian aid workers specifically who have gone missing. Right, but it's totally understandable that the government want, does not want which to give impetus to more kidnappers. Yes, by refusing to negotiate, refusing to participate in that, it's totally understandable. Yeah. As you say, neither of us are politicians, so. But from a literary standpoint, it was gripping. Uh, two of the people helping Mim and Roy are Asim and Isma. Could you describe them and explain their circumstances? Sure. So, um, first of all, so Ismail is actually um, British by birth, um, but his mother was Afghan, and therefore he was always, he went back there, he studied, um, well, first of all, he spoke Dari, he then, then went back and ended up falling in love with an Afghan woman who actually died in childbirth. He never left. He's a few times tried to go back to England, but he cannot. So he's lived there for decades. And um, he's completely engaged with that world and um, has been working. Basically, he's kind of like a one-man NGO in a way. Um, awesome is somebody who ends up Roy has not directly, but sort of indirectly, he's been hired to help as a guide. And he is my favorite character. He um, has learned English first. At, well, he studied growing up um, from learning sort of from the books that he could find, even though he really grew up during when the Taliban was there. So there weren't that many books that he could find in English, but um, he's really tried his best to learn English. And a lot of what he's learned has been from um, contractors. And uh, so he sort of uses a lot of slang. He's really trying his best um, as he can to be helpful. And what I like about him is he's really kind of enigmatic. Um, he's, to me, he represents, I think, um, the the situation that we have created of a country that on the one hand maybe is on the feeling like we are welcome our help is welcome in some ways right 
and yet unwelcome in some other ways. And I wanted him to maybe represent that, but you know, he's, he's very kind and, and, um, he seems, uh, he never is un he never seems like he's unhappy to, to be in this job that he's taken on or, you know, when Roy is kind of maybe grumbly or being a little obnoxious. And yet you wonder, like, how does he feel about these people and, you know, ordering him around and having to take on this work? Um, so he's important. He's really important in the book. Yeah. What final thoughts on what you hope readers will take away from this book? You know, I guess primarily just in a re-engagement with the fact of our influence um, in this country just by our presence there for so long and a reassessment of of our fact of being there um, and and of our own responsibility as individuals, you know, that, that... we might not be there personally, um, but maybe just to be aware. Um, I think it, it means something to to read the paper, to think that our indi- our individual actions matter, even the smallest actions. I mean, I'm trying to show that in the book. These very small actions that people take have reverberations. So what are you working on next? I've been... I've been writing short stories for the past few years, and I would love to finish that collection in the next year or so. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you so much for spending time with me today, Daphne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining me today. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery series and host of New Books and Literature for the New Books Network. Today, I've been speaking to Daphne Calote about her book, Blue Hours. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Book Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As New Book Network listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash nbn forward slash join.